0: The frames. the frames: music, music movies, movies, culture, culture and faith, featuring your hosts host, John, John Gibson and Joel and Flores.
1: Flores. All right, hey there! Welcome to Between the Frames. I'm John Gibson, joined by Joel Flores, and we are back for another episode of Between the Frames. We are been, back. Yes, it's <laughs> been it's been a little. Been a little bit. It's been a little crazy. Um a lot, of, a lot
0: of life changes, John. A, yes. lot of, a lot of different crazy things going on. So
1: yes, absolutely. So we're but we're pushing through and uh and here with a new episode for y'all today. So All um, right. yes. look forward to it. So last time if if anyone joined us, we um we talked about the movie Garden State, uh Zach Braff's um first direct, like his directorial debut, and this is kind of what I would call, and I think I called in that, in that episode, uh, a sister, uh, movie of that with Elizabeth Town, a Cameron Crowe film, uh, starring Orlando Bloom and Kirsten Dunst and Susan Sarandon, so, um, and if you're not familiar with Cameron Crowe, he's done number of other films like Jerry Maguire and Almost Famous and um,
0: actually... Fast Times at Ridgemont I was,
1: High. I was just going to say, I think Fast Times at Ridgemont High was kind of his first um, film. So
0: I think that was probably one of his first big, big hits because he was filming, I think, in the 70s. He, I had talked to you about he had done American Hot Wax and mm-hmm. um, a few others. It, it, actually, there were a couple of movies on that list that I didn't realize that he had directed and, okay uh, aside from the obvious ones right so yeah
1: well and yeah. this film is kind of no different than um, some of his other ones where he he sort of takes a part of his own life story and puts it into a film if you, if anyone's seen the film almost famous that was really autobiographical because he, he got his start writing for Rolling Stone magazine, and um, that's kind of, I think, how Fast Times at Ridgemont High came. He was doing a, a journalist project, and um, it kind of spiraled from there into the crazy hijinks of high school uh, in the early '80s. So, um, and Elizabeth Town, if you watch interviews. Uh, he talks about how it was kind of inspired by his story when his own father died and so and and you know both of us Joel have lost our dads so um uh, to me, watching this film was was kind of emotional in some ways because i you know I've been there before, you know that idea of of coming to grips with um, who your dad was. And, and you know, neither of us are spring chickens, but also we're not that old that I think unless you lose your parents at like when you're 60 or 70 or something, there's always that somewhat incomplete feeling. I don't know if you felt this at all, Joel, when you lost your dad, but for me, I almost felt like, Um, Now I have to go back and figure out who he was, you know, because I don't know that I fully had like I had a a small little sliver of who my dad was. But like he was something to me that was different from so many other people. Mm.
0: Yeah, I I think that resonates. Um, I was 33. um, And I would say because I was gone. I was away for 32, Mm -hmm. 31, 32, really, you know, I mean, really it was a matter of a couple of months. Um, and then he was gone from when I returned to the States from living abroad. So I think that there's a lot of times that I think about him. I, I, it's not a day to day. It was really hard the first number of years, but I think that every now and again, I do, I, um, you know, when I listen to music that reminds me of him or I, mm-hmm. I you know, I had a, I had a two-op song this morning that I know is one of his favorites. And the thing is, is I think I did get to know a lot of things about him because of people that were always around us and friends that I grew up with that were his and and those kinds of things. So it wasn't a complete mystery. I'm still finding out more things, but I think more of it is I'm actually glad that he took the time and this is what I'm focusing on with my boys, whether they like it or not. (laughs) Is I'm taking time to to share with them. And I know you do the same thing, you know, why why that piece of music makes a difference in your life or why this is something you enjoy or, you know, just different things or how, you know, their grandfather enjoyed this. And, um, you know, he used to always ask me all the time, because he was always making these mixes, you know, Joel, who's that? And I'm like, I don't know. Little Izzy and the Iz-Tones, whatever, because they're all named the same thing, right? know right. You know, <laughs> you know <laughs> whatever, you know, Billy and the Cadillacs. So, you know, the, the thing is, though, is um, I used to make fun of it. But the thing was, I was really paying attention. And so now any song that comes on like I for the most part I know who it was almost like what record label it was on like you know and I can tell my kids that when it comes on I'm like oh hey this is such and such such and such oh, and
1: yeah. they're very
0: just as impressed you know now actually they're a little more inquisitive right so uh-huh. um I'm glad that I'm glad he did that a lot and that's just one area because I did soak it in <laughs> even yeah. though when we're kids were punks
1: Oh right! Oh gosh! Right! right? Yeah. Oh yeah! Yeah! So, uh, yep. I
0: mean, not not your children. Not your children oh, or mine. But hardly. we were punks.
1: Right! 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 Oh yeah! <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's funny that you say that because a, a couple weeks ago, I took my 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 middle child is turning thirteen next week, um, and you know we we decided after both after I lost both my parents, we're going to take each kid on a thirteen year old trip, and my middle child is kind of the. The more music-minded, the the sporty kid, and so we we went to Cleveland, Ohio, the birthplace of rock and roll, and um, yeah, I loved watching that. And we uh, we went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and so he's the one who I will I will ask those questions. Hey, who's this? And you know, see if he can figure it out. But like, I love the fact that that my kids love like Kiss and ELO, and you mm-hmm. know, some of these like classic totally. classic bands that, you know, I didn't get introduced to until later on in life. But um, you know, they're they're experiencing, you know, at a younger age, which yeah, I think we're both kindred spirits in that regard that we're doing definitely
0: I I uh you know Elias was cracking me they're all all the boys are like this but Elias was cracking me up because he he has his playlist and I'm thinking he's like hey dad can I put my playlist in on the car and I'm like yeah sure whatever (laughs) um and he puts it on and I'm expecting I don't know what I'm expecting and then (laughs) these these songs are coming on and it's like you know rapper's delight and then it's like you know then it goes into like uh you know Weezer or something and I'm looking at him like is this like really what you're actually listening to? And he's like, oh yeah, I love this. And then it'll be like, he's like, oh, and I found this song and I realized, you know, the guy from Green Day was singing it and this is his other band. I'm like, who are you? No, but it was just funny because it was one of those. And, you know, they like ELO. They like all that stuff too, right? Yeah. Like like basically the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, (laughs) you know, is like there. So so, um, it, it is funny when you step back. And you see the the thumbprint you're having, but I asked him, and he said, "You know, my friends are kind of into this stuff too." And I'm like, "All right, you're picking good friends." I'm like, to, "I'm doing a job somewhere, N- right?" Nice, so. oh,
1: totally, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally random like thought too. I, uh, Carrie and I have been watching Ted Lasso like the rest of the world, and we're only in season one, but I, as I'm listening to oh, the theme late. song, I'm I'm <laughs> like hearing. A familiar voice, and I'm like, "Who is that? Who? Is- oh, it's Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons." So it's like, "Oh, that's pretty wild." So um,
0: that's a great show. I would yeah. do a whole, I would do a whole podcast on that. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, an episode we on that.
1: Can. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, anyway, back to back to Elizabeth Town. Um, yes. Just kind of a synopsis. Drew Baylor is played by Orlando Bloom. He's a young shoe designer who, his boss, uh, who played by Alec Baldwin gives him free reign to design and create like he wants, you know, I think for every creative mind, they want that kind of an environment where they can do that. And so he, he designs a shoe called the Spasmodica and it's got this really like, yeah, if you haven't seen it, haven't seen the movie, look it up. It's a really weird looking design of a shoe and, and it, it completely tanks and loses uh, the company nearly a billion dollars. So at the beginning of the film, it, it you see this loading dock where these these recalled shoes are being brought back into the factory again, and um, and Drew just starts having like a complete meltdown. So he's poised, he's ready to to kill himself. He he puts this contraption together with like an exercise machine and a, and a knife. And just as he's getting ready to do this, he gets a call from his sister who tells him that his dad died of a heart attack while visiting an uncle in Kentucky. And since, since Drew is the oldest child, it's his responsibility. His sister says to go and to, um, take care of all the, the, the stuff. So he flies to Kentucky meets family um, in Louisville, uh, meets um, a flight attendant named Claire Colburn ro- along the way, played by Kirsten Dunst, um, strikes up a friendship and romance with her. And and then uh, after, after the funeral, after all the arrangements and stuff, Drew takes Claire's advice and, and takes this road trip back. Um, she finds out he's never... He's never really gone on a road trip before. He and his dad had talked about going on a road trip before his dad passed away. So they um, they go, and she does, I mean... I, <laughs> I was so impressed with what she did for him like I mean that packet it's probably something that you or I would do for a good friend who's gonna go on a road trip but like she makes mix like a mix CD for him and and all this stuff and um and and like honestly that was probably my favorite part of it like I'm I'm such a big journey guy and I love movies about journeys and so as he's going through, I mean, a lot of the places are places that I've been before with my family, going to Memphis and Sun Studios and um, seeing the um, Mississippi River, you know, lots of stuff. So ultimately, you know, the film's about loss. It's about how we handle failure and about seizing opportunities in the moment. And um, and I think, you know, those Those three themes really, really resonated with me in light of some of what we talked about earlier, Joel, um, you know, the loss of of parents and kind of coming to grips with that and wrapping your head around it.
0: Yeah, this is one of those movies for me where um, Orlando Bloom, it it took me a while to settle into him uh, playing the role because I'm so used to him, you know, first of all, having his normal accent. (laughs) So right. there's that part, right? His right. his, and right. and, and yeah. um, and also um, typically the kind of roles that he would play. But I think that something that stood out for me the whole time was the contrast between almost this discovery and guilt. It, it was almost like an apathy mm-hmm. at first, yeah. And because he was so swallowed up and consumed with his own um, issues, and that resonated. Actually, I think especially coming out of this last 18, 20 months, and it's just ongoing yeah. um, in this new kind of world that we live in right now and the, the infighting and all these things that are happening, it's, it's kind of like you get stung in your emotions, you know what I mean? And, it, right. and it, uh, it, it's kind of like there was moments where he was looking at things from, from the outside in, and mm-hmm. you can see that. Yeah. We're like, is this real? Is this really happening? And, um, you know, I think uh, I think a lot of the journey, obviously, is him realizing, OK, I need to come to terms with what am I feeling? What are my emotions in this? Right. And uh, right. And at the end of the and at the end of the day, how big is my problem? Oh, yeah. comparatively, Right.
1: Well, yeah. And that that's such a key, I think, Joel, in that, you know, so often and I'm, I'm seeing that mm-hmm. both of us have have kids like high school, middle school age. And, man, I see it in middle school where every single problem that my kid faces, it seems like the biggest problem in the world. Because context is so small, right? I mean, right. And, and when you come face to face with an issue and you haven't had many issues, it's really easy to think that that issue is the biggest issue in the world. but. When you step back and realize, like, okay, and I think that's the contrast that you're talking about. This, this idea of like, hey, I just lost a company one billion dollars, and I feel like Doctor Evil, one billion dollars. But, <laughs> um, but like, uh, and then he realizes, like, okay, but then I also just lost my dad. So it's like losing something that's tangible. Which one has more?
0: Val- which one has more value, though? in the long run, Oh, absolutely. And that's the question. Which one is more the actual loss? I think it's the loss of, I didn't really know him the way these other people knew him. Right. Like, this is a mystery to me, right? And uh, um, you hit the nail on the head. I was thinking when you were talking about our kids, uh, there was this, speaking of a song, it was really more of a one-hit wonder song, and I don't know why, because it was awesome. Back in the, uh, around 94, 95 maybe, there was this song by uh, this rapper named Ahmad, and it's called Back in the Day, and hmm. it has this like, uh, it has this like Bobby Womack sample underneath and, and he goes, no, I want to take it way back. And the, and the hook is back in the day when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore, but sometimes I sit and wish I was a kid again. And it's a great song because he talks, he has this line, he talks all about like reminiscing, right? Mm-hmm. It's a really good song, but there's this one part where he goes, you know, um, thinking out back thinking back then, now that I'm a grown jerk, wishing all I had to do now was finish homework. Like, you know, like back, you know, thinking about when I was a kid, in other words, we complain about those problems in that context. And they are, they're significant when that's your world. But in comparison, I've said that to my kids. I'm like, man, all I wish I had to do is go back.
1: Oh, right. (laughs) Do some
0: homework or worry about what I'm going to slap together for lunch, right? you know. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. If my problems were as insignificant as... As those, but (laughs) and that's where, yeah, context and experience, I think, really informs us and shapes us to be, you know, who we are. And, um, and I, I, you know, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I've always been struck by is the fact that, um, people who haven't experienced some kind of either like trauma or loss or difficulty. I honestly have a harder time trusting people like that because I, I feel like their, their viewport is very like limited, you know? And again, I'm not saying everyone, like I wish trauma on everybody or I wish everyone had, but I think when you can, you can tell when somebody has really had rough times because, if they really allow themselves to go through it, which I think we see Drew do in this, like like you said, he's reluctant in the beginning to feel. He's reluctant to go, and I, I mean, and then at one point during the film, he just breaks down crying, and and I think that was a really pivotal moment because, like you said, he he understands now how to feel, and I think. Until we really come to grips with that and allow ourselves that moment, our culture does not do grief and sadness well. I mean, we we do grief and sadness the way we do everything else. A million miles per hour, speeding by, waving at it as we go by. Um, And we never really slow down to allow ourselves to feel that moment of, of grief. And I, I mean, when my, when my mom died, I mean, I wrote, uh, and it's been 10 years now. Um, I, I wrote a lot about it and, and there were a lot of people who misunderstood what I was writing at the time because. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, you can get over this. You know, I mean, all the stupid cliche stuff that people will say to I write you. I read a lot of your writing. I remember because I used to follow your blog.
0: I, yeah. You know, I thought that was a really constructive way to deal with things. But, yes, you get people giving their... I'm going to give you an answer because I'm just supposed to say something to say something and it's really, you know, yeah. I you know like when someone loses a child, well heaven gained another angel. Oh jeez.
1: Yeah, oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't <laughs> right? even get me started I mean, it's on those that kind that of one. moments. Oh, exactly. It's those kind of moments. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well and I and I think, you know, I didn't see it as me holding on to the past at all. I saw it mm-hmm. as just me coming to grips with the fact that like my life was moving on without my mom, you know, and without, and
0: without her at a, at a, at a time in your life when, like you said, it's different, you know, it's always painful to lose a parent, but it's different when it's, you know, if you're in your sixties and you still have your parents, man, that's, you know, oh, that's right. incredible. Oh, totally. This is, this is, this is, you're in the middle of raising, you know, just having a family, right. starting a family, you yeah. know, and, oh, yeah. uh, and knowing she's not going to be there and then you're, then you lose your father and he's not going to be there. And it's, it's those. It's it's those aspects, you know. I mean, you might as well be living on the other side of the planet with no telephone, right? right. So Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and and you know that that is one of the key um, I think themes in this film too is uh, at one point Drew um, someone says to Drew, you know, it's all about family, and he when he goes to Kentucky and hangs out in Louisville, he he is immersed in this side of the family that he's not really familiar with you know here his his dad and mom left they call him the the california um the the california bailers though it wasn't like they lived in california for a couple months and then ended up moving to oregon it's almost
0: it's almost like they were the beverly hillbillies they left for you know the bigger life right (laughs) right
1: Yeah. yeah and and you know that that idea again of what's what's important in life what are the things that are most valuable i mean i i struggle i've still got you know uh aunts and uncles and stuff and i don't keep in touch with them like i should and there's a part of me that you know i think i i go through this this crisis in some ways of thinking you know, every time I talk to them, I, I'm reminded of my mom and, and my dad. And so I think part of me just avoids <laughs> contact with some of them just because I'm like, it's just still hard. It's still hard. But at the same time, like I, I found a box at home the other day, uh full, of, it, it must have come from my, my mom's mom, my grandmother. And I found these I'm the baby of the cousins on my mom's side, actually mm-hmm. on both sides, and there were all these pictures of my cousins who are like 15, 16 years older than me, as babies, and I was like, so I'm scanning them, I'm posting them on Facebook because I'm friends with them on Facebook, and I'm like, oh hey, check out these pictures, I, and I'm like, you know that's cool, like I I I wish that. You know, life afforded us these opportunities just, you know, outside of tragedies and loss to be able to hang out with people who are our family and stuff. But but I feel like I
0: think that that's that's the importance of I mean, that is the importance of family and and how our society has changed so much. And and that's spilled over into everything. Right. And and into I mean, into our churches and Mm -hmm. everything. Um, That's one thing about culture. We've talked about this over other episodes is that uh you know, my family is is still quite tight knit, even though we're far away. Um, uh-huh. My my aunts are involved in my kids' lives as great aunts. It's different than my wife's family, though, and it's a culturally different thing. Like, they don't think anything of it to not, you know, even just send along a card and say hi. Right. And you know, meanwhile, I have aunts who you know never forget their birthdays or their Christmas, and I don't ask them to do that. They just that's how they are. Right. And you know, and and it's. There is, that's what I miss, actually. What I miss the most is, you know, when I saw their kitchen and, you know, Paula Deen's the aunt, she's cooking and I'm thinking, oh man, this is going to be all good, you know, and everybody's hanging out and I'm thinking to myself, I miss that. Like I really miss what actually happened to me was not so much the death story. It was just, I miss my family and and like friends that I miss seeing. I mean, I miss you guys. I miss people that I miss just being, you just be yourself hundred percent, kick off your shoes jump on the couch, reach in the fridge kind of people. Do you know what I mean? And and it's the same way all the way around, you know? And so that is something that shocked him because yeah, he, he didn't grow up experiencing that. And, and part of me, it makes me sad because it's like, that was robbed from your, your life in one regard. Right. And, and that's the guilt I live with, with my kids with having been transient was those, did that happen? But I can see we've made a good effort because they're very close to them. They want to see them, and so this last eighteen months has been so hard because we can't get back to it, even though it's right there. It's right. like it's like looking across the street and being like, "It's it's right there, but we can't use it." So you know, it, it, and a few things that you said, you know, when you talked about grief and you talked about mm-hmm. not being allowed to just sit in it, and and how we've we've kind of become that society. The unfortunate thing, again is that both of those things have spilled over into the church, the transient culture, but also this idea of let's get on with it. And I think some yeah. some countries, some cultures deal with it better, mm-hmm. but it has been something that has plagued our big C church. I think in this side of the world, that that's what you're seeing now is there's just a lack of empathy and understanding from people mm. that you can disagree and still love somebody completely that you can have, that you can, you can maybe deal with something in a different way than someone else, but still walk with them. Like there's, it, it, it's a lot of Job's friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh like, yeah. I'm going to give you all the advice you need to hear and then I'm going to peace out. Right. And, yeah. and it's like, we, we need people to give time and, and everybody processes differently. Uh, it's uh, now that you're talking about it, it has taken a lot longer to process things. I mean, I've gotten over it. But there's still those moments where it's like, okay, I still haven't dealt with that, right? Because it is. In our case, in with both your parents, but in our case, it's you're remiss of. The, you know, they're missing all these things. I'll see right. my dad and my son, and I'll, you know, we're fishing or we're golfing together, and I take him and I go. This is actually really hard to talk about. Yeah. I, I take Isaac golfing, and he he. There's certain things where he reminds me of me and my father the most. Oh yeah. And then there's other things where Elias does or whatever, but but I'll take him golfing and I'll go, hey, listen, we're going to do a little tradition. This is what my dad used to do with me. We get up early and we would stop at, <laughs> you know, this is back when Burger King breakfasts used to be good. <laughs> he stopped and we got like the croissant sandwich and we oh, would like, yeah. you know, get our coffee and then we would go hit up the golf course. And so he's like, I want to do that. So we went and did that and everything. And these little things have become things that he enjoys, you know, letting him drive the golf cart. And when we go to a different hole. And I'm just—I stop because I start going back in my mind and thinking, I miss
1: this. Like, yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I can't. We—they can't experience that, right? Right. And so. Oh yeah. You know, I try to do my best to 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 give them that same. I want them to walk away with those kind of feelings, those memories, right? Yeah. So, oh man. So, thanks a lot, John, for bringing uh, all that stuff up. No,
1: hey, hey, man. You know, <laughs> I'm just I, I appreciate that we can do like that. You can be that vulnerable too, but I, I mean. Yeah, I, I you know, like I said before, I just came back from a, you know, four day trip with with my son to Cleveland right. and we, you mm-hmm. know, all the things that he loves, you know, music and baseball yeah, and sports um, and everything. Yep. You know, I mean, crazy where we got these seats to see. Uh, this baseball game and the home run, like the game winning home run came to us and both of us it's forgot insane. our gloves. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I'm like, seriously? So this ball is coming. You always at you. bring
0: it. You, you always bring it and nothing even comes near you. And this right. is the one time we are oh, like, darn
1: it. Exactly. But, but I mean, you know, just, uh, I never did that with my dad. Like my, my dad never had time to do a road trip of any sorts. I mean, it wasn't even until college that I... Probably had like breakfast or lunch with my dad, and, and I my mean, my dad was there. I'm not, you know, throwing shade on. No, him I understand, or whatever, but, but, but no, but 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 in ministry,
0: you're you're working with a lot of people, and I mean, you and I have to probably be front of mind. Am I ministering to my family first? And that's uh, just not a thing that that's just not a thing that dads or you know, if you're a, if you're a PK or whatever, it's just not a thing that they always grew up with. And and as you know, the demands of people you know, are triplicated now, but the demands of people on you, if you don't guard that and, and, you know, especially if you were the one man show expected to do everything. Oh, hundred percent. It's exhausting. You oh burn yourself gosh. into the ground.
1: Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, and, you know, talking about all this stuff in relation to, you know, father's children, talking about like road trips. I mean, the other thing that I'd mentioned that I think this this film brings to light is how we handle failure. And I mean, I've thought about that even in regards to parenting, because uh, Lord knows how many times over the last I mean, I've been a dad for going on 15 years now. And the number of times that I've had to just sit down <laughs> with one child in particular <laughs> um, and just say, you know what buddy, I blew it like I I completely dropped the ball here, you know I I failed you uh, you know and that those are those are hard things to deal with I think um, and and I but I think it's so important I as I've gotten older, I've realized the importance of being so, honest about our failures because I've, in my own life, I have probably learned more from my failures than I have from my successes. Um, I've, I've just had to come to grips with the fact that our culture usually looks at failure as a bad thing, but, um, I kind of look at it as, hey, it, it was an attempt to get things right. It, it may have been a complete fiasco, um, but uh, if, it's, if it's a step along the way towards um, betterment and transformation for us that we become something different through failure, then I, I think that's, that's a win. That's not a, that's not a failure, it's a success, if it's, but, but it's how we respond to failure.
0: Yeah. Listen, I, I'm sitting here and I laugh because, you know, the more and more we talk in general, I always go, man, it's like two sides of a totally of a different coin. It just makes me <laughs> laugh because I struggle with those same. And we've talked about this with those same exact things like, man, I just blew this. And, and if we're not careful, we can really we're our worst enemies. I don't know about you, but I can go down the deep, dark tunnel and. And really allow you know and allow the enemy to beat me up on that. But same thing. I decided you know, my dad was the kind of guy who I always knew he was sorry when he messed up big, but he never said I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing I decided I'm going to make sure not only am I going to say the words, but I'm going to make sure my kids understand that when I mess up, why, you know, when I cool down or when the situation calms down, I need to go back, and and own my things and. John, to be honest with you, I think that's been one of the biggest things um, in my imperfections that has helped, you know, Elias came to me and man, I don't know how I've been talking to somebody recently about this and I'm like, I don't know how or why, and it's nothing I've done well or Charlotte's done well. Um, He's just really made his faith his own In, in the middle of a land and people where, you know. God's just not a thing for them. And he's serious about reading scripture and serious about, he's a reader. He's a deep thinker and a reader. Right. So, but he's come to me and he's like, I, I, this is, it's mine now. We're basically his words, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I watched him teach the kids program this summer and just the level of depth of preparation. He was up before me every Sunday, ready to go like six thirty in the morning. I'm like, what the, wow. and, and so what I'm saying is though, it's not All my Jesus talk and all of my, you know, let's do Bible times and devotions and all that kind of stuff. It's actually in those moments of I watched what I've realized is I watched my mom and dad when the electrician comes over. I watch my mom and dad when they deal with somebody on the phone. I watch my mom and dad when they're at the store and how they talk to restaurant waitresses and how they talk to their neighbors and how they greet people. That's what I watch. That's what I watch. And I realized our kids are watching everything in the mundane. Okay. You talk Jesus, but are you being Jesus? Mm. And that is something something—the you know, that's a big area that God's encouraged me. Just keep, keep being like me because yeah. the reality is, is we are going to screw up, right? Like we're going to make the mistakes and that's you and I are, are the best ones to sit with the kids and be able to say, listen, <laughs> you're going to fail. Right. You're going to make mistakes. And, I, and to the boys, cause I have all boys. So you probably talk differently with Chloe, but I'd say to the boys, this is what makes you a man. Mm-hmm. A man is someone who can own his mistake, learn from it and move on. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, because you're going to make them. Yes. And so I think that that's, it's just an important thing. And it's, it's, I don't know. I wasn't really, again, I knew my dad was sorry when he messed up, but it hurt me deeply, especially when it was something I didn't even do, like, you know what I mean, those moments, because I'm sure you and I have gotten mad at our kids and it was like, they didn't even do the thing and they were just mad anyway, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> totally blamed the wrong one or got all upset and, and uh, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, they earn plenty of it too, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but I think that... Those are the lessons, John. I would encourage anybody who's listening and kind of raising their kids and, and bringing them up, especially in the preteen years, just be real. Like, just be real. You're yeah. you're a, you're a mess. You're a work in progress. There's nothing more powerful than to tell your kids and to show your kids, like, especially if you, if you walk with the Lord, if you're listening to this, just show them. Like, I'm a work in progress too, and I'm right. gonna be till I die. Like, yep. you know what I mean.
1: Oh, and absolutely. and without
0: God's help, I can't. I can't. Be a good mom or a good dad to you and and you know so anyway that's the real stuff and people I've counseled with and talked with whose kids maybe have walked away as adults or whatever a lot of it was do the program come you got to be there go to all the stuff do the stuff or on the flip side they didn't make it a priority at all Mm -hmm. you know what I mean they showed what their priority was which was eh you know I used to call it you know, some people treat God like a, like a, like an ice cream cone and you put all the toppings and then, you know, Jesus is the little cherry on top. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, oh yeah.
1: And so, you yeah. know, what, what's the basis of it for you? Right. So yep. anyway, I yeah. digress. Well, but, and I, I think, you know, talking about failure, talking about our mistakes, I, I think it can get to a point, And I, I've seen people like this. I've worked with some people like this who they're so fearful of failure that they don't try like they don't try anything like and 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 I I mean that was again one of the things like I I wrote down those who risk win and and like if you aren't willing to risk you won't ever do anything spectacular so that's right like that but part of that risk is the, the willingness to be vulnerable and to screw up and to just pick yourself up again and say hey you know how do we do this? It's interesting because my, my son, Tucker, he um, had a uh, really tough year in baseball. He plays baseball. He's a pretty good player. Right. And just, you mm-hmm. know, the, season, the the summer kind of ended with us doing this away tournament in Tennessee. And um and, you know, he didn't play a ton in the tournament, but when he did, he did well. Like, he pitched really right. well during a game, he had a home run in a game, and he had this, like, Kiermaier-esque, like, dive, um, diving catch in outfield. And I remember asking him at some point, I think it may have been when we were on our road trip, I'm like, what, what was going through your mind when when you made that, you know, I'm like, were you afraid you weren't going to make it at all? And he's like, well, I knew my play, my teammate was like right behind me so that if I dove and I missed it, like he would get it. And I thought to myself, wow, like in in the mind of a 12 year old, I'm seeing like this wisdom and, and yeah, just like, what would that, what does that look like for adults who say, you know what, I knew someone had my back or... I, I was you know that's why I wasn't afraid to risk. I mean, it speaks to the the notion of community that I bring up all the time, but like, right. I think it makes such a huge difference when we know somebody's got our back. That we're willing to step out and to say, hey, you know what? And not only to take that risk, but when we do make the mistakes that we've been talking about, knowing that that person who has your back isn't going to abandon you just because you messed up, you know, or you dropped the ball or whatever, you know? Right.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a key point of the story is that, you know, um, in one regard, He took the risk. He had an opportunity, took a shot, failed. Right. But it's like, how do we deal with that failure? And I think a lot of his response to dealing with the failure is, I've never been shown how to deal with failure. Because I don't even know who, like, who, who was this guy, really. And it's not an assault on the dad in the, in the film. But I think it's, it's realizing there were so many facets to him again, coming back to it. I mean, I think of Susan Sarandon's, you know, the, 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 the speech she gives, which Uh is awesome. And it turns into, it turns into a little bit of a comedy act and, but she, but she's working through that grief and taking people on a journey. And I thought it was really well written
1: um,
0: because it wasn't hokey. It was authentic. And it got to a place where, where she honored him. In that, But it was this idea of, even for him, you see the expression on his face of, like, befuddlement, a little bit of horror, and then kind of joy at realizing what's going on. And, right. again, it just signified to me how much... I felt bad, because I was like, how much people are like his character, where they didn't really know... Um, they didn't really know their parents, and you know, man, like at some degree, whatever level it is, they shape who we are. Oh yeah. Um, you know the good and the bad, the good, yep. the bad, and the ugly. And yep. so, um, you know, I, I think about when you talked about the risk of failure and how mm-hmm. some people won't won't take it, and and it's more about how you know we I, I talked about how we respond, you and I respond to that, and I think I brought this up before, but one of my favorite, we may just have to go look at this movie actually, but one of my favorite quotes. Like probably ever is in Rocky Balboa, mm-hmm. and um, you know Stallone, he's a really good writer. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, he, and, and he writes this scene where uh, you know it's it's technically the last movie before the Creed ones, but it's he's talking to his son, who's played by Milo Ventimiglia, who's who's you know on This Is Us, and basically looks like him. <laughs> and right. So, He's, he's talking to him his son's embarrassed by him he's like please don't do this you know and he he's, he's gives him this speech about let me tell you things you already know and he goes into this one part where he says the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows it's a very mean and nasty place and I don't care how tough you are it'll keep it'll beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it you nope. mean nobody's going to hit as hard as life, but it ain't about as ho- how hard you get hit. it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward and that's how winning's done and he, he, he says more to that but that always time I see that scene dude, it yeah. like brings me to tears oh. because every one of us resonates with we just give up. I give up. yeah I, this, I can't do this. Yeah. And I had a moment like that a couple of weeks ago, man. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. we could talk for hours, but it was just like, I can't do this anymore. Right. And I have to remind myself that, okay, you
1: know, what round is it? Yeah. What's the count? Get yeah. up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, that reminds me of what um, Kirsten Dunst's character, Claire, says to him. She says, right. you're an artist. Your job is to break barriers. Have the courage to fail big and stick around. I mean,
0: and, and. Is that when they were talking in the street, I think, right? When she's like. Yeah, when when she just kind of.
1: Yeah, gets, gets in his face. I mean, and, you know, you mentioned Job earlier and the friends of Job who just, I mean, they sucked royally in a lot of ways of like how they responded to what was going on in his life. And it's like, you need people who are going to say this kind of stuff to you. Have the courage to fail big and stick around. Like, don't, don't like go put your tail between the legs and like run away or don't like you know avoid avoid risk because of the pain that might come from you know a failure like stick around even in the midst of it and and that's where I think you know you talk about the church and how some of these cultural things have have in I won't say invaded but I mean they've they've kind of been, infiltrated like right into the mind of the church and as as people who should be living like risky lies the life of jesus was a risky life that we need to be willing to to do that and to stick around like think about some of the disciples think about peter like what would have happened if peter said after he totally blew it like jesus told him he would that he just runs away like what I mean, the church would still have been created, but you think about how God used him in the book of Acts to, to help the formation of the church, despite the fact that he'd blown it big time. Um, And Paul, you know, Paul had killed Christians before, you know, he started doing what he did. And you think about if those guys had said, oh, I failed big and I'm just going to run away and kind of you know, be a wallflower or am I going to fail big, stick around and like still let God use me. That's the power of redemption is that even when we do fail big, um, God's the one who gives us the power and the strength to be able to stick around uh, through those failures, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's
0: what resonates with everybody, right? I mean, throughout all of history, throughout (laughs) biblical history, I mean, that's for the most part you know, nobody was spectacular or glamorous on his or her own. It was, it was the most unlikely, you know, average Joes of the crew, you know, and, and now and again, you had your Samson's and different people, you know, cause he was a Levite and different things, but you, you, you have, everyone deals with some sort of failure. Everyone mm-hmm. deals with some sort of doubt and struggle. And I love that about scripture because it's, it's really real. We're studying, um, we're doing a series right now called From Hurt to Wholeness. And we're really speaking into um, deep pain and hurt that people feel and how God wants to move us to a place of wholeness. But it's not like, you know, hey, just get over it. So yeah. uh, this past weekend, uh, um, Derek, one of our pastors, he, he's, he was talking about Abram and Sarai and how, how they couldn't have a child in any way. Long story short, their plan was to get Hagar pregnant and all this kind of stuff. And then there was this big, bitter feud between Sarai and Hagar and all this kind of stuff and how it just wrecked. That And, you know, really, they all made mistakes and they all needed to deal with it. And yet God still redeemed all parts of it. Right. And so it, it's this thing where um, Charlotte looked at me and she goes, you know, I, I've been realizing more and more that family drama and relational issues goes all the way back <laughs> to the beginning. I said, does really. I mean, that is that is the essence of sin is, you know, destructiveness. It's it's death to our. You know, it, it's death to relationships. It's death to all kinds of things. this is why, this is why we see the conflicts we see repeatedly over and over again. And, and I think more than this pandemic virus, we are seeing a virus infiltrating North America and parts of the world that is a deeply um, spiritual relational one. People's, people's lives and families being destroyed over their ideologies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? Oh, and people yeah. willing to die on a hill for their um, Even religious ideology You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And ironically they'll point their finger at people who <laughs> Die for their religious ideologies <laughs> But but you know I mean like It's just it. You know hey the internet is great And it's also just created a disaster <laughs> You know thank oh, god yeah. it wasn't around in 2001 oh. The same way it is now Anyway it's the social media right? So right. so, right. Th- all that to say we're walking a tightrope, I think. And and in a lot of ways, I think God's resetting what the called and the church looks like as we go into the next days and get closer to being to the end, to with Him. And I'm not right. one of these, oh, that's the end times. It's always oh, gonna be sure, the end times. Sure. But, but what it looks like next. And the question is, are we paying attention? And the, the, I think the themes that are in this movie, that are in this story, and a lot of the ones we've talked about, there's a story that's important over and over again. What I hear, John, over the last many episodes is um, the friends you put around you, the relationships yeah. that we have. Um, the the Even if our families aren't perfect, how do we learn from that? How can we be someone who who breaks a generation of curse and starts a new path? How can we how can we invest in it how can we be good listeners really mm. what Job needed was people to listen and i think kirsten dunce's character one of the best things in her character because she came out of nowhere yep. is she was a really good listener yes she just listened yep. and let him go through these first stages of shock and whatever he was dealing with and then it got to this place where their relationship developed and then it got to a place where she called him out and being a jerk
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. know what i mean oh, yeah and
0: it was time it was time to do that he needed yes. that then yeah. not at the beginning
1: yeah Oh, right? ab- yeah, absolutely, yeah, and and you know that speaks to her character too. That that in such a short time of knowing someone, she can be as honest as as she was. I mean, that you know, talk about risk again, right? Like a lot of the risks right. that we take relationally are are risks in being willing, and so many times. I think people are unwilling to take risks or or risk something in a relationship because they're afraid they're not going to get what they want anymore. So, hey, I'm not yeah, going right. I'm not going to be honest with Joel because if I am, then he might get mad at me or he might cut me out or like whatever, and it's like, gosh, isn't your relationship worth more than that? Like to that And, I mean, the Bible says love conquers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean that we sin, like, with such abandon that, you know, people, you know, have a hard time loving us. But when we inevitably mess up, like we've been talking about, when we love people and they know that, like, it's... That's the we, key. We can make that risk. We can take that risk, and people will still say, "Hey, you know what? Like, I know they love me, so I'm going to go ahead and step out on a limb here." But, but like, right. I, I, I guess in some ways, it's a little unrealistic to to have what Kirsten Dunst showed. I mean, it's good, but I, you know, in our culture, I, I think people are so much so much more reticent to to dive into something like that and to be that honest and vulnerable. And, I, and social media is one of the things that I think has has caused that is we put this like best well, foot a forward.
0: You, you know, a lot of people tell you, you know, a lot of people tell you, you know, anyway,
1: this goes around and around in a circle.
0: And in a lot of ways, people have, you know, as we kind of wind down and, 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 and kind of close up the episode. A lot of folks today are also, you know, being taught that if you speak into someone's life, if you care about them and you speak into someone's life, you know, you're judging them or you're just trying to put them down or hurt them, you know, speak your truth and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, and what I'm saying is, is that's just a, it's a rabbit hole because, and we've abused it. And I think as a church we've abused that we've either not said anything or we say the things that are, you know, very condescending mm-hmm. and we haven't put any effort into knowing the person and who they are and, 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 and getting to a place where I think our character's realistic. Cause there are people like that in our lives where True. it's just True. That instant yeah. bond. Yeah. However, yep. most of the time it's this, like I know if you needed to, you could tell me, Hey, blah, 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 blah. Right. You know what I mean? You could tell me what you need to say, or I could say, Hey John, listen, like honestly, <laughs> this, yeah. this is what I think about this. However, that takes it's because it's years of investment. It's investment in relational walk with people. And I think that that's a key for whatever the church is going to look like. We've got to get back to, to caring about the person and investing in them relationally. I mean, that's true discipleship is spending time with people. It's not a 12 week program. It's not just a course where you sit in and you graduated it. It's walking it's an apprenticeship yes. and i hope we can get back to that place in people's lives and in our communities and our neighborhoods because that's what that's what makes them want to know you know the god who has supposedly changed your life right right, <laughs> right? oh yeah so
1: you're you're writing my you're writing my sermon for Sunday for me. So thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. No problem. We're, we're actually, and, uh, yeah, we're going through a series <laughs> called discipleship and literally like the, uh, I'm on the second week. Last week was D dying to self. This week is I investing in others. So I mean, nice. there, there it go, is man. right there. So <laughs> see, I but, just, I just yeah. knew what
0: you're talking about. Actually, I'm going to go and check out your series now. So, and I encourage you to check out the hurt to wholeness cause it's kind of, it's kind of neat, but yeah. uh, there's, there's some personal church plugs there. Yeah. Uh, but John, Hey, listen, this was, this, this was a great, um, you know, I, I appreciate you hipping me back onto this cause it's been a long time since I've seen the movie and, um, I actually watched it in chunks because I wanted to take in segments yeah. and then I would go back a little bit and then I would take in the next segment. And I found that, um, watching it that way, I was able to kind of concentrate on the transition through the story. Yep. So for me, it was interesting to watch it that way. Hey, however, we can get the film in, right? But exactly. it was interesting for me to be able to watch it that way, and I, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, well,
1: and, you know, yeah. one th- just before we we cl- close out too, I mean, the one thing that always draws me into a Cameron Crowe film is the music too. I mean, the the soundtrack oh, yeah, of, of of Elizabethtown to me is just, I mean. I it's very I don't, good. I don't know many people who do. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy. Obviously, those films, are those that music resonates. But like the music that that um, Cameron Crowe chooses in his movies always hits me. And this this film has not. Well, Cameron Crowe's married to Nancy Wilson, who I think does mm-hmm. his music. You know, formerly of Heart. Right. And, or maybe she's still part of Heart. Right. So, um, oh, but, she is. <laughs> so, yeah, she writes a lot of the like soundtrack, like scores for him. And then he pulls all this other music out. But, um, if you haven't, no, checked- it's the it's
0: soundtrack is so, the soundtrack is so important. Right. And I think maybe, maybe we, uh, shift gears and
1: do some soundtrack oriented movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be good. I mean, yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and, and you know, if people have thoughts and ideas, hey, there's a movie out there. We'd love for you guys to discuss. Hey, make sure that you uh, send us a, an email at podcastbetweentheframes at gmail Would love to hear from you. Uh, get some feedback. Uh, tell us what you like. Yeah, and we'll be and we'll be getting out
0: there on the on the regular a bit more. We had a we had a little bit of a a little bit of transition this summer, so we should be getting back at it here.
1: Yep. Yeah. So um, we would love to. To just get some feedback we'll hopefully be back up in a couple weeks with another episode and uh in the meantime thank you uh thanks joel for taking the time um thank you all for listening and make sure that you share with your friends and uh, we'll be back again with another episode as we figure out what's lurking there between the frames Thanks for listening to Between the Frames
0: with John and Joel. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to click subscribe and give a share and a follow on social media. Each episode will look to dive into the deeper meanings behind movies, music, and culture as it relates to life and faith. Thanks for listening and see you next time.